Thompson. On the show this week, we chat to Linda Moore with her new book, Conversations with Money, a Love Story. Plus, we check in with Monique Barker at Barfoot and Thompson to chat post-cyclones and floods and see how her area is coping. Plus, we're talking to Neighbours Aotearoa about the importance of getting to know your neighbours. Welcome to Property Matters. Kia ora and welcome to Property Matters. I'm Stephen Dello. It's great to have you here for another week, whether you're tuning live on Planet FM 104.6, which is every Monday at 4.15, or perhaps you're listening to us from one of our podcasts, which you can find on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or hopefully wherever you like to listen to them. Now, we've got a jam-packed show this week. We're catching up with Linda Moore about her new book, Conversations with Money, and she shares a very personal story. We're going to chat to Monique at Barfoot and Thompson Takapuna, sort of post-cyclone, and get a sense of where that has impacted her world, but also the letting market in Auckland, as suddenly the queues are back at viewings. Plus, we have a quick chat with the team from Neighbours Aotearoa to find out what they're up to throughout the month of March. But let's rip straight into the first interview. Now, we're delighted now to chat to an author about a fabulous new book about to hit the bookshelves in March. And this author has a very different bio to what usually comes across our desk because it says Linda Moore is a money mentalist coach and New Zealand's only certified new money story mentor. Now, that is quite an introduction. Welcome to the show, Linda. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Look, it's great to have you here. And we're here to talk about Conversations with Money, your new book described as a love story, how to love your money and it love you back. I think there's something in here for absolutely all our listeners. But before we unpack the book, I need to unpack what is a money mentalist and how did you become New Zealand's only certified new money story mentor? Well, I will give you the uh, short version because it's quite a long story and you can probably read most of it in the book. Absolutely. Basically, what a a money mentor does is we focus on your money mindset and your money psychology because you can go off and do a budget, but that's only about 20% of the process. 80% is how we think, feel and behave with our money. And that's the part that I really focus on. And I'm a, my background is an accountant, so I do the numbers part as well. But I love focusing on the money mindset. Why do we do what we do with money? Why do we do dumb stuff with it? Mm. Why, why can't we be good with money or why are we bad? And why do we have those terms in the first place? Fair enough. Okay, I love it. So take us back. You just mentioned accounting. Talk us a little bit about your journey that led up to sort of even before writing this book? Yeah, so my journey was, um, I was an accountant in practice. And what I noticed is when stuff happened in my client's life, it didn't matter what the numbers were saying, they really weren't focusing on their business. And it sort of was one of those things, oh, that's interesting, isn't it? What's going on here? And then when it happened in my own life, which is the story I tell in the book where my marriage broke up, um, I, I reacted exactly the same way. I became the ostrich. I just I just didn't care so much about the business. Mm. And, and all of my accounting knowledge went completely out the window. Um, to the point where I, you know, found myself six hundred thousand dollars in debt, which was rather scary, <laughs> to say the least. Just a little, yeah. Just a little. Um, and that got me very curious about well, there's got to be more more to it. There's got to be more to it. And that's when I um 
again, found myself at Auckland University sitting in, in um, a psychology lecture when they had some open days. And it just, I sat there, I went, this is it. This has got to be something to do with it. And that's when I studied psychology. Um, and because I wanted to focus on the money aspect of psychology, um, I then went hunting. And that's when I found Professor David Kruger, who is still my mentor. And I messaged him through LinkedIn. And I said, I'm an accountant in Auckland, New Zealand. You have no idea who I am, but I've just read your book. And can you please tell me more? And David is incredibly generous. He was on the phone. We had a two-hour conversation. And before I know it, I became one of David's clients because he would not teach me to be a money mentor until I had gone through the process myself. And of course, in the financial situation that I was in, I really needed that help. And honestly, it just, it flipped the switch. It was incredible. And then he trained me to be a, a mentor. So what I learned myself with him I now teach others and I teach couples. Yeah. There's so much we can unpack from that. And we haven't even started talking about your book. But what I love is the fact that, you know, um, a marriage breakup, a life event, a tragedy, anything in that, you know, can be overcome. And one of the biggest pressures, I guess, we have when a tragedy strikes and, and look at national disasters that's hit us uh -huh. this year is, you know, money plays a huge part. Um, so I love the fact that you've overcome it and use this, I guess, as your basis, not only to write a book, but for your career. Um, yes. The mentorship, how important do you see that in people's lives, the need to have a good mentor? Uh, look, I think it's hugely important. I mean, all through my business career, I've always had mentors and coaches working with me. So I do have a slight bias towards them. However, when it comes to money, we find it very difficult to talk about it. And, and even with couples, they go, oh, yeah, we're talking about money, but they're having transactional conversations like, gee, hasn't power gone up or, you know, who's buying the school shoes and things like that but they're not actually talking about the really deep stuff. And I say this in the book, you don't sit with your partner over breakfast and go, um, hey, honey, what's your relationship with money like? Mm. That'd be mm. the reason we're fighting about it or yeah. the reason we're not where we should be now. We don't have those conversations. And I help you have those conversations because those are the conversations that stop the arguments and that stop the relationship breakups. 70 to 80% of breakups blame money. Yeah. It's a part of my little voice in the back of my head saying, where were you 11 years ago? But we haven't got time to unpack that journey right now. <laughs> but um, I totally agree. It is such yeah. a conversation that you have. And how cool is it that you can work with couples, not just individuals, on yeah. this journey? So look, tell us about the book. And it says, you know, that this... This is not a money management how-to book, but it's about changing the mindset. So how do you do this when you're writing a book? So uh, the premise for the, for the book was really, I wanted to focus on the whole concept of that the relationship we have with money is the longest relationship we will have in our whole life. Mm -hmm. Before we're born, mum and dad are going, can we afford this baby? Yeah. And then at the end of our life, at our funeral, Others are standing around going, well, I wonder how much I'm going to get. So yes. it's hugely important. So why don't we make it the best relationship we can? And we don't tend to. So that was really the fundamental process around how can I help people understand that this is a hugely important relationship? And quite frankly, don't screw it up. Um, and so it's 
that's where this, the, the, I guess the kind of the love story part of it has a bit of a double meaning because it's loving that relationship that you have with money yourself and creating that loving relationship so that you know where you're going and, and that sort of thing. And then what happens, of course, is we fall in love with someone else and then all of a sudden there's four of you in the relationship. There's the two of you and your relationships with money. And how do you navigate that part of it? Um, and that's where my own, I guess, personal love story comes into it with my ex-husband and the $600,000 of debt um, because uh, 12, 13 years later, when he was terminally ill with cancer, uh, I spent the last month basically in hospice with him. And we had all of those conversations that we should have had when we were married. And, and because of the place that, you know, we were in, there was no blame, there was no fault. It was just, yeah. what happened? How yeah. did we, how did we let our love fall apart because of money? How do you broker that then with a couple that, you know, have two very different views of money? One that might be, I really want to save, buy the investment house, go down that path. And the other one who's very much, no, today's for living. Let's spend that money. Like, how do you, I guess, meet in the middle of those two minds? Well, the first thing I always start of is the fun bit, which is the money personality. So, and we find out what the money personality style is because that's how you choose to behave with money right now. And, and when I have polar opposites like that, where I've got one who really wants to save and the other one who really wants to spend, I send them out on a little exercise. The spender is not allowed to spend anything. The hoarder has to go and spend money. And there's very strict guidelines around what they can spend on. And they have to spend a day in each other's shoes. Nice. They get to feel what it's like to be each other from a behavior kind of perspective. And once they start to do that, we can then start to drill down and dig deeper. Okay, so what are your values? What are your beliefs? What stories are you carrying from parents, family, friends that you haven't talked about yet? Mm. Yeah, I what love that. Admire about each other's differences. Mm. And we just unpack all of that. And we have some really we have some really cool conversations. Yes, sometimes there are tears because I'm having conversations with couples that they've never been able to have before, but they've been desperate to have them. Right. Mm. Yeah. And when you open that up, it's like, whoa, everything changes. Everything changes. You mentioned earlier, you know, it's not all about budgeting, but that word sends shivers through lots of people's spines. I um, hate it. I yeah. Hate but, it, but it's interesting if you watch the media and news stories and when things are happening and, you know, there's always the budget expert that comes on to yeah. talk about the importance of budgeting. How do you pull back from that? So if if we're not drawing up a budget, where do we start with our journey to love money? We start with a money plan because money is an important part of self-care. So just as we, we exercise and all of those sorts of things, money should be there. So I'm not saying that we don't have I, I do use the term budget until I educate people. We're talking about a plan because this is a plan for life. It's not a short term. It's not a tighten the rope and, and cut things out unless you really have to. If you have to, then you have to. But then we want to be able to ease it back into a plan. Um, and I use the behavioral economics modeling, which basically says everything we do is to fulfill a need. Where a traditional budget says you can't afford this, so you can't have it. The question I ask is, why are you spending money on that? Is this a good choice? How can we do make a better choice? So it's all about choices. It's not about judging. It's not about peering over your neighbor's fence. What are they doing? Because something that's a really important need for me may not be an important mm. need for you. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And the the judging is, is something that perhaps mm. we worry about or 
we've been brought up in a generation of, you know, you must do this, do this, do this. So, you know, I, I find that fascinating at times. I had a recent conversation with somebody and, and I choose to spend a lot of my money producing theatre. And, yeah. and I always joke, I say some people go to the casino, some go to the TAB, I spend mine, mine in theatre, but that's my passion and my love. And I get huge amount of enjoyment from it. And yeah. this person literally said, oh, but you're not buying investment properties with it. It's like, but you talk about it. I said, oh, absolutely. I support those that want to go out and buy investment properties. Give me yeah. a theatre I can buy and I'm in. But but it was an instant almost judgment call made. Uh, yes. how, how dare you not be buying your third investment property? Like that, that's where we need to go. So how do yeah. you deal with, with, I guess, beating those stereotypes and letting people love using their money for where they want to? Because it's all about your values. Your values are very clearly around theatre. And if I said to you as an advisor, you know, a, a mentor or something like that, well, actually, you can't spend all that money you are spending right now in this particular area. You'd go, no way, I'm not listening to you. And, and you'd completely mm. fall out of the whole process. But because you understand why it's so important to you, then we go, okay, so we're not changing this. But maybe we can look at it and you can channel some of that mm. passion to something else. Yeah. But it's not about, no, you can't. And that's, yeah. the whole, that's the whole difference between a money plan and a budget. Yes. I, don't, I don't say no. I've had some really interesting things that have turned up in people's money plans. Um, and I kind of I kind of smile and go, okay, that's really interesting. <laughs> put it in. Let's put it yeah, in yeah. because it's really important to you. Yeah. Well, you know, and people always love goals. And, and, and if one of those goals is spending money on something that's a little bit crazy for them, then that will help them stay on the right path. Exactly. And you've got to have some fun money. You yeah. have to have that little bit of money that is just, if I want to go and blow it, I can. If I want to save it, I can. It's that you have to have the guilt free to yeah. make kind of money plan stick. Mm. Nice. Now your book beautifully breaks it down to three parts. The yes. first one around getting to know your money. The second one, your money mindset and relationships. And then the third one, what else is going on? And then the practical application. Yeah. You want to just sort of talk our listeners about what you they would expect reading this book if they're trying to do the journey with the book. Yeah. So the first part is from what's our earliest memories of money, uh, unpacking what our beliefs beliefs are, and that kind of period of our life where we're footloose and fancy free and we don't have a partner. So it's how we build that relationship and where all of these stories come from so that you can get comfortable with your own money stories. The second part of it is obviously that we've now fallen in love. We've now got this other person in our life and it may be somewhere down the track. We've got more little people coming into our life. So how do we bring our two money relationships together and how do we make it work successfully? What are the conversations we should be having? What are the things that we should be doing? And then the third part, just because I really, I, I really wanted to put it in there, was some of the things, some of the money biases that catch us out that are so easy to change and can make quite a significant difference. So, for example, one of my favorite things is a thing called anchoring. And the story that I use is this one. So you go into the store and you see this amazing leather jacket. You just go, I can just see myself in it. I'm going to absolutely look fantastic. And then the sales, and you look at the tag, and you go, oh, no, I'm not paying that. And then the salesperson comes up and says, oh, it's on sale. It's half price. What are you going to do? You're going to buy it. So that's, you've been anchored. Yeah. And then what you 
then what happens once we've been anchored, we move into this thing called the confirmation bias. And it doesn't matter what anybody tells us, that jacket is the best jacket in the world and it's the best price. And we cherry pick information to mm. you know, confirm what we believe. So I've got a whole heap of those money biases that you can actually go and practically have some fun with. I love playing with anchoring when I go out buying things. Yeah, and I yeah. just go So once you understand these biases, you can debunk them fairly quickly. Um, so that's that's what a lot of the, a lot of part three is the practical aspects and what you can do in your daily life to get a bit of a handle on more of the practical management side of your money. So Linda, are you one of these people that then tells people, "Oh, you like my jacket? It was a hundred dollars," or do you say, <laughs> "Do you like my jacket? I got it for only fifty? Because <laughs> I think that says a lot about a person too. It does. And this is where it comes down to what my money personality is. (laughs) Um, And I'm an massive spender. So I would quite happily go, this jacket costs $100 because I've probably paid $100 for it. I haven't waited for the sale. Brilliant. Brilliant. When is it a good time for people to get someone like you in to, to look at this? Is there a sort of a key time in their life? And my second part to that question is how often should you refresh and recheck it? Yes. So um, generally, most in terms of couples will come to me when they're actually doing, they're doing, they're doing quite well, you know, they've got their house, they might have some children, but there's just this little niggle in the back of their mind that, oh, hang on, we seem to be earning all this money, but where's it going? And that's typically kind of the trigger question is, where's it going? And when we've had things like pandemics, where people were, you know, going down to 80%, and they suddenly went, we can't pay the credit card bill, what's going on here? So there'll be a little bit bit of a niggle, or you might find yourself, because there's so much financial anxiety around at the moment, that you might find yourself actually starting to have little arguments with your partner that you weren't having before. So there'll be little trigger points, warning signs like that, that actually, hey, we need to get this sorted. Mm. Um, And then uh, once once you actually make that decision and we do some work, then the main thing is, is that you actually continue the discussions by having your own financial date nights. Um, then, and then, you know, I, I still have clients I worked with five years ago who pop in and go, hey, Linda, can I just have a quick check-in? Nice. Um, and sometimes they sometimes they don't because they've, they've kind of got it sorted and they're on the path and they're, they're off and racing. So it's very dependent on, on who the person is and how much checking in they want to have. Mm. That's cool. Um, this was a very personal story that you pulled from. Um, to write your first book how did you find that for yourself having to be so honest and sharing but obviously for a good purpose yeah well I thought if I was going to do it I was I I wanted to make it relatable Um, and so that was really important to me because so many books about money quite frankly are really rather dry and I didn't I didn't want it to be like that and because I do have this absolutely uh, a beautiful I think it is a beautiful story I felt that that was a really good basis to share and that's one of the things that um, Gaz and I did talk about before he passed away that that I could share our story no. so he was he was okay with me doing this but it took me three years to do it um, mm. I have a very good friend who's an author and she sat me down about six weeks after he passed away and she interviewed me and we had all of these transcripts and she said here's your book she said you may never write it but you might choose to. So I had it all kind of there. Um, and then my amazing editor, Marcy, she was the one who actually put the story in because I couldn't do it. It was still too close and too personal. So she took all of those transcripts and a whole heap of other stuff and she inserted the Gaz and Linda story in the, in the conversations with money that I'd written. Mm. Brilliant. 
So where to next? Is there a part two? Uh, Conversations with money, the the nightmare story, maybe, you know, like what's what's the next one? I think I'm still recovering from this one. I absolutely love doing it. Um, I, I actually don't know. A couple of people have sort of said to me, oh, maybe you should you should do a second one more around the management side because I don't deal with that at all because the system I use and the way I do it is really cool. So it may be that I do the practical management one that becomes a companion to this one. That yep. might be, that, that probably would be book number two. Yeah. But right now I'm just enjoying talking to people and meeting people, um, talking about the book and, like that so I'm just, I'm having fun brilliant brilliant so if anyone listening to the show wants to get in touch with you um, yes, yes. obviously they'll be able to buy the book where all good books are sold it's out from the 2nd of March it's published by Money Mentalist Publishing so it's available but if they want to get in touch to perhaps have a mentoring session with you or find out more about you and your journey how can they link in with you the easiest way is to go to the website uh, moneymentalist.com and there you can there's lots of resources there um there's the money personality quiz is on online there and there's also this little button that says book a call with linda and you can have a complimentary conversation with me for half an hour so it's very easy to talk to me very easy nice and do you work in with other professionals like you know for example a mortgage broker if someone was trying to sort of get prepared for their first mortgage do you sort of work in and have conversations with them if they give permission or like how does that work with because we talk a lot about the need to involve the experts in your life. You know, the yes. people that have been there, done it, made the mistakes. Don't yeah. have to make them yourself. How do you work with someone like that? Yes, so I, I can work very closely. I have a very broad network of all sorts of different professionals around me. Um, so I have had clients that have come through mortgage brokers, through financial advisors, as, as well as just finding me. Um, and if, if I'm working with a couple, I'll always ask them who their advisors are first because it's easier to go back to an existing relationship. If they don't have those kind of relationships, I have an amazing pool of people in my network that I draw on. So definitely, I know what my skill set is and I know where my strengths are. And then it's like, okay, we've got you to this point. Now go to the next level, go to the next stage. And here's the next person in the chain for you to talk to. Awesome. Well, we wish you every success with your book. We'll look forward to seeing... Uh, where that road takes you and um, chatting again perhaps next year with book number two. Oh, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Linda. Thank you so much. Now, we love it on Property Matters when people come back to chat to us again, and I'm delighted to welcome back Monique Barker, who is Head of Property Management at Barfoot & Thompson's Takapuna branch. Welcome back to the show, Monique. Thank you. We obviously didn't scare you off last time. <laughs> no definitely not <laughs> so look I want to unpack what's been happening in your world but before we do remind our listeners how long have you been at Barfoot and Thompson I've been with Barfoot and Thompson for five years and I'm at the Takapuna office and what is it that you love about property management so I really enjoy that no day is the same and also meeting people from all walks of life we meet all sorts of different people in this job now, now, you're based in Takapuna, but that isn't your sort of your restricted area, is it? I mean, one of the things we've talked about before is that, you know, Barfoot and Thompson's citywide when it comes to that. So do you find yourself trekking a little bit all over Auckland or do you tend to stay more on the shore? So majority of our properties are in Takapuna. However, we do have properties outside of that area as well. 
um, especially multi-landlords. So, uh, for example, I've got one landlord who's got quite a few properties. The majority are in Takapuna, but then he's got three a block of units in South Auckland. So we also manage those because he likes to deal with just one person. So, yeah, we do sort of, you know, have properties, um, not just in Takapuna. Yeah, and I guess that's quite an important point, isn't it? If you're an investor that owns properties in lots of places, having one point of contact mm. takes that stress off. They build the relationship with you and they know that you and your team's looking after them no matter where it is. Exactly, yeah. So why do you believe investors should have their investment property managed and not do it themselves? You know, everyone's about saving a few dollars, but yeah. why should we, instead of saving, actually save the stress? So they should really leave it up to the professionals to ensure everything's done in line with the law. So we know the legislation, we've got access to the latest technology and also a lot of resources that Barfit provide that private landlords don't have access to. It's sort of like getting your car service, right? You appoint a certified person in that trade and managing a property is the exact same. You should have a property manager and it's a small price to pay, really, to avoid making any mistakes. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, would you service your own car? That would be the most scary thing in my world if I tried that. No, you wouldn't want to get in afterwards, I tell you that. So, yeah, really good analogy there. If I was a private landlord trying to do it myself, and we know we have those listening to our shows, what do you think is the hardest part to managing a property on your own? I'd say difficult tenants and also maintaining a professional relationship. We mm -hmm. often see private landlords building more of a friendship with their tenants instead of maintaining a professional approach. And that can lead to awkward discussions when it's time to review the rent. So appointing a property manager takes away those awkward conversations and they're able to make the best decision on your behalf. Yeah, I can just picture it too. Hey, mate, I'm a bit behind in my rent because I've got a vet's bill, etc. It's much harder to say no when you've become friendly with them, much easier when you're a professional company to say sorry to hear about your pet but we actually need the rent in on time because our landlords still have mortgages to pay and with latest interest rates I'm imagining you know that that's getting tighter for them as well mm. so tell us about the recent floods and cyclones how were your tenants impacted on the north shore so many of our properties were affected um from sort of like a low level to quite a high level um one of the worst properties we had, um, the tenants had water knee-deep and they had to evacuate. Um, and so how that impacted them was, unfortunately, they had no contents insurance. So they lost everything in their home. And he was um, into music, so he had quite a few expensive musical instruments and lost everything. Awful. So, yeah, I do highly recommend if you're a tenant and you're listening today, definitely get contents insurance if you don't have it because tenants are responsible for insuring their personal items in the property um, and the landlord's only responsible for the insurance of the home. Yeah, really good point. Really good point. And, and even in those flatting situations, having an insurance policy is definitely going to help. And a lot of insurance policies also have extra cover if you are a renter for dealing with those accidental moments as well. Um, so yeah, really important point there. As property managers, what did you and your team do to help both owners and tenants after the cyclone? So depending on the level of damage to the property, we have been offering some tenants a rent credit, um, you know, rent reductions, uh, 
And we've also been able to pull a few strings. Our Barfoot trusted contractors have definitely been able to um, drop everything and help us. Nice, because you've got that big pool of, of people that you use on a regular basis. Mm, and those relationships as well with those contractors. Nice. How did you work? You know, I can, I've got visions of owners with lots of insurance forms to fill out now. How do you support your owners with things like insurance claims and, and checking up on the properties? Mm. So we've been to all our properties that were affected by the floods. Uh, we've taken lots of photos and those photos the owner can use to assist with their insurance claim. Um, and we are there to support them as well if they need any advice. Did you find the floods a few weeks ago worse than the cyclone for your area? Like what hit you worse? The flooding on the 27th of January, that was by far the worst. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, the area we're in as well, like uh, we've got some properties in Milford and Nile Road in Milford was really badly affected. Mm. Oh, we were watching all that news footage of buses trying to cross the North Shore. You know, it was mm. it was quite something. While the cyclone certainly has hit other parts of New Zealand, I do think that flood really hit us hard. Um, mm. So how has all of this, I guess, increased the volume of people looking for a rental property? Because I'm guessing that, you know, a lot of people have been displaced. Their homes have been mm. yellow or red stickered. It's going to take months, if not years, to get rebuilt. Does that mean you've now got these crazy queues once again, like we saw a few years ago? We do. The market is just saturated with tenants looking. Normally, January, February, March, that is a busy period for us. But now, with all the flood victims looking, there's just so many people coming to viewings. And these are all really good, strong applications as well. A lot of them are homeowners who have been affected or even great tenants whose rental property needs repairing. So, yeah, lots and lots of people. I had one property last week where put it online on a Friday, did a viewing Saturday morning, wasn't even up 24 hours, and we had 25 groups of people at the viewing and 15 applications. So you can just see good properties are renting quickly and there's lots of people you know coming to the properties so it's a great time to own an investment property again yeah yeah so if I am one of those people in your queues what's going to make my application stand out above the rest what are you looking for when you're processing applications just make sure you've got good rental references and make your application as strong as possible so the details it's asking you to fill in make sure you fill it all in correctly um, also, if you've got a pet, um, I recommend creating a little pet CV to support your application because um, that's going to make it stand out amongst the others. Yeah, good idea. Now, if you've already or, or always owned your own property, but now you're having to look for a rental while your property is rebuilt or repaired post these cyclones, how, what do I put on an application form when you, you're asking for things like a property, previous property manager or a landlord reference or personal reference? Mm. How do I sell me when I've actually not rented perhaps? Yeah, so if you've perhaps sold a property, you could put down the sale agent because they'll know you're clean, tidy, house proud nice. or someone that's been to your property recently as well that can say you do look after the house. Okay, great. Awesome. Any other top tips for someone applying? Just fill in the application, make sure everything's all all there because, you know, if we've got like this other property where we had 15 applications and you're going through all of them, you want to make sure that you've made your application as strong as you possibly can so you're going to stand out. 
Yeah. And I guess, look, you go with gut and personality, don't you, at a viewing itself. So remembering mm. it's a bit like an audition. You rock on up to a viewing and you are meeting the person that ultimately will be choosing who gets to live here. Um, so best behaviour at viewings, I imagine, arriving on Definitely. time. I was about to say that as well. Definitely yeah. the only behaviour. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. So if people want to get in touch with you to manage their property or to find out about a rental property on the North Shore, how can they track you down? So they can contact me on 027-889-3560 or my email, which is m.barker at barfoot.co.nz. And I'm the Takapuna office. Fantastic. Thanks, Monique. It's always great catching up with you. We'll chat again a little later in the year and see how things have calmed down. Hopefully no more natural disasters heading your way. Crossing our fingers and toes. (laughs) (laughs) Now, each week on Property Matters, I like to give you some bulletins of what's happening out in the media. But this week, we are doing a live bulletin. We're welcoming Melissa Parker in to chat about Neighbours Aotearoa. Welcome to the show, Melissa. Thank you. Kia ora. It's great to have you here. Now, what is Neighbours Aotearoa taking place in March? Neighbours Aotearoa is simply the idea of encouraging people to get to know their neighbours. Everything from small, putting a note in your neighbour's mailbox to having some kind of a street party. Um, the The possibilities are endless. It's limited by your imagination, really. Love it. And why do you think now more than ever, it's important that we are connecting with our neighbours? I think since the pandemic um, in 2020 started, people have become increasingly isolated, as well as technology. Technology is making it so much easier to just send a text message or to talk about things on Facebook rather than having face-to-face interactions. And there's all sorts of studies out there that show how important it is for us to have those face-to-face interactions. It's actually really important for our health and well-being. Yeah. And look, I mean, we only have to look at the most recent natural disasters in New Zealand to know the importance of being able to check if your neighbor's okay, which means you kind of need to know how many are there in the first place and who is your neighbor. Exactly. Um, Cyclone Great Gabriel really... um, was a wake-up call for everyone that knowing your neighbours is not just nice to have, it's actually, it could be crucial. It could be even life-saving. Now, a lot of our listeners might be like me and live in Auckland in an apartment building, and I've been surprised since moving from the suburbs into the city how you actually know your neighbours less. Even though they literally, you open a door and their door's there, you might say hello in the lift and that's about it. Um, how do we reconnect you know, you mentioned leaving a note in, in a letterbox. What sort of other ways would you suggest that, say, apartment living connect with each other? I think it comes to being bold, just to to sort of push yourself to um, knock on their door and say hello. I think people are worried that someone might be angry about it, but really, <laughs> you're not selling something. You're just you're just saying hello. And deep down, I think everyone really wants to be more connected. So it's an easy sell. Mm. And you just need to make the first move and not wait for someone else to do it first. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't mean you literally have to have them all around for a barbecue. (laughs) Although that can be good. But I remember that growing up, we had, um, I'm trying to think of the police uh, neighborhood watch, it was called. And and you met every couple of months for a street barbecue, got to know your neighbors. But there was that crime element that you were also then aware when something looked a little bit different, a little bit odd or a strange car hanging around you were very much keeping an eye, not just on the person, but the property. Um, That seems to have all died down as well. 
Yeah, you know, I actually have my own personal um, security guard living next door. He's an elderly man that um, just keeps a very good eye, eye on our property. And it's actually really um, reassuring to know that somebody's watching. Um, I think uh, we've just become more, I guess people have become busier and people are more wrapped up in their technologies that we aren't reaching out as much as we used to. And we just, it just starts, it's like a domino effect. Someone just has to start doing it and it'll, it'll happen more and more. Yeah. And it's good to know your neighbors before a disaster happens or in a medical emergency that you can just quickly reach out. Um, you know, the social media sites and community pages, they're great, but if you're not on it at the right time, then and there, you may miss something that is really important and nothing beats a knock at the door. Um, there's been quite a bit of a television campaign recently. I think it's Are You OK, Joan? And it's sort of based around, you know, checking someone that just the lights had stayed on all night, hadn't gone out and those sort of things too. There's a lot of vulnerable people in our community or people who simply live alone, you know, making sure we're keeping an eye on them. Yes, exactly. And and it's not it's not a one-way street either because we can keep an eye on the vulnerable and they also, like my neighbor, my elderly mm. neighbor, they can keep an eye on us as well. It goes both ways. So it's very mutually beneficial to to know your neighbors. Absolutely. So this is a month-long initiative taking place in March, but I'm sure you want this to keep going all year. Just use March as the catalyst to go and knock on the door and have that cup of tea or or pass the note through the door. How can people find out more and also register their events so you're able to keep track on how people are getting on with their neighbours? There are a few places. Uh, they can go to our website, neighborsaotearoa.nz. We also have Neighbours Aotearoa Facebook and Neighbours Aotearoa um, Instagram. So there are a few ways we can get in touch. But one thing I'd like to mention is that we also have some resources people can request. So you could request uh, some postcards or stickers uh, we have flyers so that you could sort of use that to put into your neighbor's mailbox to sort of say, it's not just me knocking on your door. It's actually neighbors. It's actually neighbors out Aotearoa event. Brilliant. So we can just request that through those sort of those places. Fantastic. Well, I wish you every success. I'll end the zoom and go and knock on my neighbor's door and say hello. I think Excellent. that's really important. All the best for March. Thanks for coming on to property matters. Thank you. Well, that was a fabulous episode. We hope you learned a few new things and enjoyed listening to our fantastic speakers. Thank you to Linda, to Monique and to the team from Neighbours Aotearoa for coming on to Property Matters this week. If you would like to come on and talk about something in your world that impacts investors, business people, owners, tenants, email us at propertymatters at barfoot.co.nz or perhaps you just have a burning question you'd like us to answer. Flick us that email. Hey, I want to acknowledge Barford and Thompson for their fabulous support. It's their 100th birthday celebrations this month in March. But I also want to acknowledge the fabulous Lydia from Barfoot and Thompson, who has been one of our marketing gurus for the last little while on Property Matters. She's flying the country off overseas, and we wish you all the best, and thanks for being such a great support uh, to me and to the show. Thanks, Adam, for editing, and for Matt and the marketing team who have been busy promoting us. Have a fabulous week. We'll catch you next week on Property Matters. Mm -hmm.